Well, it's good to see you, so we're going to have an exciting night. And those people that are out Christmas shopping tonight, trying to get done early, apparently, they don't want to hear about Jesus. That's just, I just don't know what to say about them, but that apparently is their problem. But we're going to have a great time tonight. We have a lot to discuss. Uh, how many of you are able to catch World News Briefing on his channel? That's fantastic. Um, well, uh, if you're here this morning, I mentioned that Pastor Barry Stagner from Calvary Tustin and World News Briefing is here tonight. We're going to have a great conversation. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about some things that you want to know about. Uh, I'm assuming we're going to have enough time to open it up to questions that you have. So be thinking of those. And they have to be good questions. No bad questions. And also, if we get questions live from the internet, Craig will text them to me. And we'll be able to have some of those too. So it's going to be a great night. Please welcome our good friend, Pastor Barry Stagner. You, welcome. Tom. Good to see you. I haven't seen you good in a while. At least 10 minutes. Well, yeah, it's been minute. about seven it's or eight minutes. It hasn't been since. Uh... Have a seat. <laughs> great to have you here. Barry good to be here. Fantastic. And you've been doing World News Briefing for. A long time. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, I guess since 2013. 2013, then you were yeah. with Pastor Chuck, and then Pastor you've, Chuck, you've done it with he Dawn. Pastor Chuck was uh, advancing and... with cancer, and then uh, Dawn and I did the program for, I think, two years. And now a little over two years, it's been uh, Mike McIntosh and I and you. you every once in a while Dawn you have me and, on. Yeah. Every once in a while. It's been a while. Just Tom, like, would you like to be on World News Briefing? <laughs> I promise to take you out to lunch if you let me. <laughs> well, let's pray and let's get started. All right. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight, and we ask that you would do great and mighty things. Uh, help us to be able to connect the dots. Uh, we pray for wisdom, and also, as many people have questions about what is going on in the world. Uh, Lord, you have the answers. You gave us your word so we can make sense of the day's in which we live. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Barry, I have this article I came across. Oh, wait, before we go there, we have a trip coming up. You and I do. We do. Very Our excited footsteps to of let Paul, us uh, horn uh, in on Over that. <laughs> in Europe is where we are going October of 2018. End of October, we come home on November 1st, 2018. And uh, it's a great trip. It's Pastor Barry's church and and. Also, this church, and Bob Probert's going to be joining us. Uh, you and I have known Bob for probably 25 years or maybe yes. even longer. It's going to be a great trip. If you're thinking about going to Europe, footsteps of Paul, we're going to Patmos, where John wrote the uh, book of Revelation. Uh, and also, we're going to areas where the Apostle Paul taught. Uh, we're going to be visiting, I think it's Ephesus. Yes. Is that right? Church, uh, the the uh, area where the church of Ephesus was, amongst many other places in Europe and Rome, We'll be in too, so we can go visit the Pope. We have a special meeting that's set up with the Pope. I'm busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> so in all seriousness, you can check out the information on it. And then we are going to have a meeting here on January 14th on Sunday. I think you have one coming up also at your church. But if you're yes. interested, anybody online that's watching, if you're interested in that, you are welcome to check it out. Uh, both of our websites have information on on that trip. So it's going to be exciting, an exciting trip. Yes, it is. Uh, we have been talking about it at our church. Uh, numerous people had said, hey, we go to Israel every year or every other year. When are we going to do the footsteps of Paul? And uh, I had just began speaking with Inspired, and then your trip popped up, and we were both speaking at the same conference. And I said to Tom, hey, can we tag team this thing and go together? Our churches go together. We tried to go to Israel together many, many years 2006. ago. 2006. 2006. I remember. And it didn't work out. So Tom said, uh, yes, you can come with us, but I'm teaching at Ephesus, so don't even ask if you can. I so, said, uh, Patmos. Was it Patmos? Okay. It's Patmos. Okay, then can I teach at Ephesus? No, I'm teaching oh, at see, Ephesus. See, I told no, you. No, I'm kidding. You can't. You can't. I'm doing Patmos. You do Ephesus. I just want to go. I mean, that's, <laughs> Yeah, so know. do I, you, can do all the, you and Bob can do all the teaching. I'll oh, no, I just go. want to go. You and Bob, I just want to do Patmos, so you guys can teach the rest. But it's going to be a great trip. 2006, yes. we were going to Israel in the... The Lebanon War Lebanon broke out, War, yeah. and uh, we ended up going anyways. We had a small trip, but it was, it was a lot of fun. But, but now we're, gonna, we're going forward. I can't wait unless we're raptured, yes. which we might be. 
Yeah. We might be, and we're going to get there. Well, we might get there tonight. Who knows? So this says this. This article I came across today. I have a couple from a Christian, uh, different Christian writers. The rest are all CNN, uh, Washington Post. You have some things from mm -hmm. New York Times, so forth. This Christian writer writes up, the time, my friends, is crazy short. And he's writing about the days in which we live and when Jesus is coming. And he says, first of all, let me say that I hope each and every one of you had a very happy Thanksgiving. It's indeed the beginning of the holiday season, beginning with Thanksgiving, then on to Christmas. Although I must say this time of year is going to be so very sad for many. And I pray the Lord blesses each of them according to his perfect plan. On that note, how many more Christmases do you think we will have on earth? He says, we must look around ourselves, see what is going on politically and geographically, <clears throat> socially, and most of all, morally. How is our moral compass these days? And then he goes on into a lot of other areas. So we're going to be discussing these things. So something happened. Let's get straight into the prophetic word. Uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's a big war. Yes. You're one of my friends I consider an expert in, in that war, the Gog-Magog war. Uh, we have Russia, we have Iran, we have Turkey. They mm -hmm. are getting along very well. You reported on it, I've reported on it recently, so has Don. But they're, they're, you have this agreement. However, it appears that the uh, final countries are in an alignment. Can you uh, fill in everybody here and then also those who might not be familiar with it or watching on uh, YouTube, what the war is, who the players are, and what the news is that just came out, which makes it uh, really quite amazing. Well, it is interesting because we are given, uh, via the table of nations in Genesis 10, a list of descendants of Noah. And these areas, uh, through Herodotus and other uh, historians, were given basically the areas that they've settled uh, in the world. There's some information in Genesis 10 as well. But it tells us that where these people groups settled are the players uh, geographically that are going to be in coalition uh, with Gog, this leader who's going to lead the charge against Israel. And, you know, there's a lot of talk over the years uh, of, you know, who's who. And uh, one, I think, you know, we often hear about Magog being Russia. And, you know, there's uh, some of the ancient Scythians and other things that are uh, associated with them. But really, if you want to get a representation of who Russia is in that Ezekiel scenario, it's actually Rosh. Rosh would be okay. uh, the head of that whole movement. Now, Magog would represent uh, a portion of the former USSR. Uh, I think the southern steppes of Russia would be an appropriate way. The stand states would be a way to look at that. And these are all in uh, coalition, Togarma being Armenia, uh, also Persia. Of course, we know that's the Iranians. And then... Looking at what has been developing over the past several years and watching things fall into place, we've seen uh, miraculously God has uh, allowed these events to transpire that he foresaw to bring about these players onto the northern border of Israel. The interesting part has been the mechanism has been ISIS by and large. Uh, ISIS was the tool that uh, drew the Iranians into the northern border of Israel or the region above the border. And by the way, as we saw this strike on Damascus, we know that uh, the Iranians were attempting to build a base 40 miles from the Israeli border, mm -hmm. the Golan. So obviously with Netanyahu's comment, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But yet nonetheless, here we have the Iranians, we have Hezbollah, we have other nations that are going to participate in the invasion now on the northern border of Israel in coalition with the leader of this group, Rosh, or Russia. Now, we also found that because of the North African nations that are named, that there needed to be some type of mechanism to draw them in, maybe not into the battle theater specifically at this point in time, but into the coalition. And again, that was ISIS. ISIS became president in Libya. Russia then had a presence in Libya. So now we've got the association with the Libyans who are in the coalition uh, of Ezekiel 38 and 39. But there's been one missing piece, and that fell into place this past week. And it was just a minor blip on the screen uh, news-wise but it was a major move prophetically because it completed the Ezekiel 38 and 39 coalition. And that was that the Sudan has now met with Rosh, or Gog, if you believe mm -hmm. that uh, Putin is Gog. And uh, now, so the whole of the complement of nations that are going to be participants in the invasion of Israel from the north are now in coalition with Russia. The Washington Post ran a story. Uh, the byline was kind of interesting 
the byline actually read, Sudan's president visits Russia, asks for protection from the U.S. So interesting that, you know, the battle lines are being drawn. But uh, for me, as we talked about on World News Briefing, this was the story of the week. Yeah. Just a minor story, but it completed a major puzzle piece uh, of that whole scenario that uh, we can now watch, uh, hopefully uh, soon, reach its completion. Uh, we, we won't be here, I believe, for that. So you believe but, we're going to uh, be raptured, which we're going to get to also. You believe we'll be raptured before the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I get asked that question a lot. Yeah. Let me read to you this passage from Ezekiel 38. Okay. And then we have this map up here that everybody can see. And, and uh, it just connecting the dots with that Washington Post article is really remarkable. So Ezekiel 38 and 39 takes place after the Jews come back to their homeland again. Um, the dry bones are coming back to life. Mm -hmm. There's a physical restoration yes. that takes place. And that's when Ezekiel 38 comes into being. So this is what Ezekiel 38 says. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the G-O-G, uh, in the land of Magog, the, the prince of Rosh, who you're referring to, Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So I look at this part, Gog then would be the leader of this coalition. So if it is the nations today, you could say, if it's the nation today, that would be someone like Vladimir Putin, without his name, his name yes. here being Gog, would be in that place. Okay, fascinating. I will turn you around, and I'm not saying you're saying it is Putin, so let's make that clear. Or are you? No, no I'll, I'll throw you okay. a curveball here. Okay, in a great, I can't wait. So I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army horses, horsemen all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. It's interesting, this war is like a, it's like a troops on the ground. It mm -hmm. doesn't seem like technology. Yes. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with, sh with shield and helmet. Gomer, all of his troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all of his troops, many people are with you. Prepare and yourself and make ready you and all your companies that are gathered about you and be on guard for them. In many days you'll be visited. After many days, you, it, it, you'll be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and, and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. And then you will ascend upon them like a cloud. So these nations that are listed there, you're saying, they're all here. They're all in, and with this Washington Post article the other day, you got the final piece of the nations. Right. On the northern mountains of Israel, which we know is the Golan. Yes. I mean, you've been there as many times as I've been there. And you look out, folks, if you've never been there, it's remarkable. You look out, and there's a sign that points to Damascus. How far is that Damascus sign? 40 you miles. Remember? 40 miles from the Golan. You're looking at it, there's, there's Syria, there's Lebanon, and you're there on the mountains of Israel when the Jews have been gathered back. You can see traffic from the Valley of the Tears in the city of Kenitra. This is just amazing. I mean, that's how close a major city is to the border of the Israeli Golan. Th this is remarkable. One of the years we were there, I can't remember which year it was, um, you could see the smoke from the battles that were going mm -hmm. on in Lebanon and Syria yeah. while you're standing up on the Golan. I'm sure you've seen that before too with the different wars. I think that was a pre-ISIS uh, time. Um, it would have been Hezbollah and uh, whatever mm -hmm. Iran was supporting. So I look at that, but you have this article, which to me is just, it's like off the charts. And then you look at that map, and this is what Ezekiel 30 says. Everybody's coming together against Israel in the latter days on the mountains of Israel, and they're gathered there on the border. If you read from the Table of Nations in the Old King Jimmy, you won't find uh, Ethiopia there. That's not a descendant of Noah. But what you will find are two names, Cush and Put, and Put is uh, ancient Libya, and Cush is Ethiopia and the Sudan. Ethiopia, over a year ago, uh, has made some overtures to Russia uh, for some energy agreements, which basically that, I believe, is the hook in the jaw that's going to draw uh, Rosh down out of the north and Gog down out of the north and uh, cause them to invade Israel. We know 
that you know the uh, drop in oil prices has had a major impact on the Russian economy. You know they feed yeah. their military system uh, via their energy products. Sixty percent of their uh, gross domestic product is energy-related products. So when oil tanks, uh, that's difficult to build tanks. Uh, yeah. So it's been hard on Russia. So you, you know that that is whether there's an agreement with the Saudis who are going to protest the invasion, or whatever the cause is. We know that somehow there's a monetary, <coughs> excuse me, monetary element that's involved in the invasion. And, you know, logic says it's going to be energy-related products, considering the, you know, the vicinity right. of the world we're talking about, for one, yeah. and the need to feed the big Russian army, uh, secondly. So it's kind of interesting. So we've got now Kush, Ethiopia and Sudan, filling out the puzzle of the Ezekiel uh, battle group that's going to invade the nation of Israel. Let me throw something out at okay. you. I talked about this on uh, World News Briefing just this Wednesday, and, and be quite honest, because Gog is a figure of interest, I think, to a lot of people, including me, like to know who he is, or at least figure out, you know, uh, what his role is. And I stumbled onto something uh, in the Old Testament. Actually, it was in Amos chapter 7, verse 1. And, you know, the Proverbs tell us that the locusts have no king. Mm -hmm. And yet in Revelation, we're told of a swarm of locusts that come up from the bottomless pit that have a sting of a scorpion that torture men. Uh, mm -hmm. For a series of months, they seek death but cannot find it. And yet we're told that those locusts have a king. A proverb says the locusts have no king, yet they uh, assemble in swarms. You know, they're organized. Mm -hmm. Yet this swarm of locusts, numbering 200 million, has a king. And his name is Abaddon or Apollyon. He's the destroyer. Um, and what I ran into, kind of interestingly, just in my search of Gog, was only in the Septuagint, only in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is, uh, and you won't find it in any Hebrew to English translation, mm -hmm. but only in the Greek Old Testament, it says in Amos chapter 7 verse 1 that Gog is the king of the locust. Huh. So what that tells me, mm -hmm. since we know Abaddon and Apollyon is the angel of the bottomless pit, it's an angel, mm -hmm. that that potentially tells us that Gog may be a spiritual being, much like we see the mm -hmm. princes of Persia in the Daniel scenario, yeah. resisting the answer coming to Daniel. So uh, not dogmatic about this by any stretch of the imagination. I just thought it was interesting because if we look at that scenario, we know that Rosh, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. Rosh means head, or Rosh means chief. So if Gog is a chief, then you have Rosh, who's also the chief. So, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but when you have world powers like these guys, like Rocket Man and Donald Trump, <laughs> nobody likes two chiefs. So, <laughs> it is possible that God could be representative of a spirit, mm -hmm. an angelic being, that is the force behind yeah. Rosh that drives him to invade Israel. So. Just throwing that out no, there just I, to make I, I sure like we that. all scratch our heads. So Gog isn't necessarily Vladimir Putin without a shirt riding on a horse. Because oh, I have seen that picture. He rides a tiger. <laughs> or a bear, no. I think, is what. Well, I, 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 <laughs> there you go, bear. I, I, I find that really fascinating, and it makes so much sense, because we, we can tell from Daniel that you do have these spiritual influences. That are assigned uh, to nations. That are assigned nations. Israel as Michael the Archangel, or mm -hmm. uh, you have... Uh, the Prince of Persia, we, we have these. And it certainly seems when you look out at the world, you have these demonic beings that seem to be influencing the media. Uh, right. The Bible does tell us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. That's I right. say even the air waves. Air waves, yes. And, uh, so, but it, it makes sense. And actually, that makes a lot of sense when you think of it that way with Rosh being uh, Rosh the and the leader, mm -hmm. of the head of this whole coalition, which you can clearly tell that makes it fits well. I, I, I like that. It's just uh, curious. I don't plan here to uh, plan to be here to see any of it. So, yeah. and you mentioned a moment ago, and I think as I get the same question, what's the placement of the Ezekiel War? And I think the reason that we can say, and and I would go as far to say that I think we can say it with a bit of certainty, that the Ezekiel War happens after the rapture of the church. And the reason I say that is because of the divine response to the invading yeah. armies which is consistent with uh, Zechariah chapter 14, where the Lord says he's going to fight the way he fights against the nations, all the nations that invade Israel. Now, I think that's probably twofold. We know that there's 
you know, other battles that, that certainly mm -hmm. take place concerning the nation of Israel, but specifically during the tribulation, if we look back to how God fights in the plagues of Egypt, you see those same devices, so to speak, used in the destruction of the invading armies in the Ezekiel War. You have an earthquake. You have uh, hailstones of fire and brimstone and, and very, uh, you know, definitely cataclysmic events that are orchestrated by God. So you have this supernatural intervention that takes place in this Ezekiel scenario that is consistent with what happens during the tribulation. Because if there was a group that should have had hailstones of fire and brimstone rained down upon them, it was the Nazis. But because we are in the age that we now live in, and God is going to begin to interact with humanity directly via his wrath during the tribulation on behalf of the Jews, that puts this scenario in my mind, certainly inside the tribulation period, very likely uh, early in, in that seven-year period, wow. and is likely part of what brings about the Antichrist rise to power and the peace uh, proposal that he makes. Well, we're going to get to a current peace proposal that's out there in a few minutes by Donald Trump. We're going to yes. look at that in just a few minutes. <laughs> I find the whole thing rather fascinating, but staying on track with this, in Ezekiel 39, when the war does happen, God is the one who's glorified, mm -hmm. and uh, the people recognize that it is God, at least the Jews recognize the Lord has saved Israel from yes. destruction, because you look up there on the screen, it, this battle's coming from everywhere, we have the threat of Russia, Iran with their nuke threats now, and everything else that's going on, so it's coming from everywhere. This is a much bigger deal than the previous wars of 1967, 1948, um, other wars, 1973, this is much bigger that's going yes. to come against Israel. But Israel is God's land. The, the, right. It's the apple of his eye is Jerusalem. So God's going to get the victory. Now, I want to ask you this, because, and if you have no comment, that's all right. I've got plenty of other questions here. <laughs> In Ezekiel 38, they're coming with shields and bucklers and swords drawn. It appears that perhaps um, when we think of wars right now, it's all about technology. Mm-hmm. However, that war that's described there seems to be troops on the ground, there's horses involved. Uh, is, that, is there anything to that, or is it just a description of, of a war in the time that Ezekiel wrote, and therefore we fast-forwarded today, it wouldn't be technology in the wars that we have now, or is it just technology's wiped out? And so the war efforts of this war are different than uh, we would currently expect with technology. You see that consistently in the book of Revelation. You know, with all the imagery in Revelation and the symbolism, and when John incorporates figurative language, he's doing so through means that would be understood in any generation. You know, like when he talks about uh, hearing the, the voice of the sound of many waters. Mm -hmm. You know, any generation could understand the sound of a waterfall. And therefore, it's language that would be applicable in any culture, and it's not technology-related. You know, if John was uh, advanced forward in time, you know, and he said, his voice was like the roar of a jet engine. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, two millennia of people wouldn't know nearly yeah. uh, what he's talking about. But the sound of a trumpet, the sound of many waters, all gives us language that's understandable. So when John is trying to describe something that he doesn't quite know how to describe it, the Spirit inspires him to use words that we can interpret at any given point in the course of history. Now, also, John is very careful to identify uh, things that he has no way to describe, like the, uh, the demon whore that comes mm -hmm. up in, in Revelation chapter 9. You know, he says they had has hair like a woman, a face like a man, a tail like a scorpion. It's not a scorpion's tail. Mm -hmm. It's not a woman's hair. It's not a face like a man, but it's like that. So he identifies his figurative language for us to understand. But here's the point, and this gets to your question. He knows what a horse is. He doesn't have to figuratively describe mm -hmm. a horse. So he identifies a horseman crossing the Euphrates River that is dried up. Now, here's the question. Why, in the mechanized age that we live in, would you need the Euphrates River to dry up in order for the kings of the east to cross over? Mm -hmm. Well, if there was some type of cataclysmic event. I don't necessarily think... There, there may be EMPs, electromagnetic pulses, the uh, detonation of a high-altitude nuclear bomb that does cause some localized... Uh, electronical disruptions or electronic disruptions. But me, I, I think that what's going to happen is that everything is going to be disrupted by some type of solar activity 
a, a class five geomagnetic storm, uh, uh, coronal mass ejection is what the tec technical term is, where the earth is bombarded by negatively charged ions that disables all electronic equipment on the face of the globe. And the only way then to fight a battle such as Ezekiel 38 and 39 is to put on the shields and bucklers, get on the horse and ride in and, and invade the country. There. So to your that's, question, yeah. my answer is yes. That's, that, that's just fascinating. <laughs> you imagine the world that we live in now and, and your cell phone doesn't work, which I want to get to EMPs in, <laughs> I want to get to EMPs in a minute because uh, we're going to get to North Korea. Actually, a few okay. more minutes. But uh, here, let's, let's go to Jerusalem for a few minutes. Okay. And, but, but let me comment New on or this. old? Uh, we're going to current Jerusalem. <laughs> the old Jerusalem, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to the direction things are right now under the presidency of Donald Trump. But when you think of Ezekiel 38 and 39, all the countries coming together, if that takes place after the rapture, I'm thinking we better be ready for the rapture. Yeah, because it's, it's a Don't we live in exciting times? Yes. yes. I just go, man, this is, this is just wild. So there's these attempted peace plans. Ronald Reagan, uh, I mean, you can go back, Jimmy Carter, Mm -hmm. uh, Bush presidencies, presidencies uh, Obama, the whole bit, right? Clinton, um, everything. Everybody's tried to get a peace plan. Donald Trump is trying. So we have this breaking news. White House is expected to announce U.S. recognition of Jerusalem as soon as Tuesday. Um, so this is Donald Trump before he's elected president. He said that he would move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. which essentially recognizes that as Jeru the capital of the Jews. So I look at this, and, and I, I want to hear your opinion on it if you think it's going to happen, because according to this article, the Palestinians aren't too happy about it. And, and um, do you think it's going to happen? That's one question. If it does happen, you look at that picture up there. You have the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. You have the Dome of the Rock in the back. What do you see happening if Donald Trump actually does that? Well, it, um, we've had conflicting stories over the past week. You know, yeah, first it's yeah. going to happen, then the White House tries to distance himself from the statement, said the statement was premature. Now we've got another story saying that it's potentially as close as Tuesday. And let me just say this. I think it would be the smartest thing that the president has ever done. Uh, because one, we know from Genesis 12:3 that God has made an everlasting promise to the people of the world not only would the world be blessed by and through the descendants of Abraham, speaking of the Messiah, but also those who bless Israel or the descendants of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be blessed. So if we want to bring blessing on our country, then I think this would be a wise move because this is the city of God, the city in which he has placed his name, the city in which he told Solomon when Solomon built the temple there in 2 Chronicles 6 that he would hear prayers made in this place. Mm -hmm. So Jerusalem is a special place to God, the only piece of real estate on the planet where God has said he has placed his name. And if we look at what's happening in the world today, the Bible basically tells us that things are going to continue to cycle down to one particular piece of real estate, 35 acres known as the Temple Mount. You know, the whole of the country of Israel, 8,800 square miles, down to the 70 plus miles, square miles that is Jerusalem. And then finally, the kind of the, the bone in the throat of the world is going to be the Temple Mount. So, you know, Jerusalem is absolutely crucial um, in the whole last day scenario, but I, I think it would be a wise step uh, for us to lead the way for our country to be the first to take a stand, publicly recognized, which by the way, uh, the international community has given the land, the whole of the land of Israel, by international law, it's been given via the Balfour Declaration, the San Remo Resolution of 1929 also, gives the land to the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. And it is because of their historical association with the land, and there is no allowance or allotment made for the so-called Palestinians. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. You know, we're talking about politics. Yeah. So yes, what's are. true Monday may be different Tuesday, yeah. and then a new story Wednesday, and then another... Thursday. So I don't know. I hope it happens. And, uh, you know, I think that because Trump was so boisterous about this, uh, that this is something that he's going to have to continue to pursue uh, because it was such a bold promise. It was a bold promise. And I, my personal take is 
it's probably going to get delayed again. There's a six, you can always extend it another six another months, six and another months, six yeah. months you revisit it. That's been happening for president after president, just keeps yes. postponing it. My, this is just speculation. My guess is the Trump administration is throwing this out there to see what kind of uh, feedback is going to yeah. come their way, what kind of wars are threatened. It, it's, like a, it's like a testing ground would be my guess. But I would imagine with Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the promise of blessing is clear yes. in the Bible. Absolutely. Um, Jerusalem is God's. It's the apple of his eye. He will be worshipped in Zion over and over and over again. Uh, but I also see the devil hates that. And I would imagine that there's some people that would do what they could to bring about World War III. However, with God's protection, it would come to nothing at the same yes. time. That's right. Well, Amos also promises, I think it's 918, that once they're back in the land, they'll never be uprooted again. Yes. So the Jews are yeah. not going to be driven out of the land. Now, yeah. let me throw something else out there, Tom, I thought was interesting that's, that's been developing uh, over the past several months. Uh, there's a new crown prince in Saudi Arabia, yeah. uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And he's 32 years old. And just within his ascension to the crown prince position, within months, in, in, within a year, uh, women are going to be driving in Saudi Arabia. And he has a very forward-thinking attitude, uh, you know, which is, is, yeah. is interesting. But he came out this past week, and there were other supporters of it, and as well as an Egyptian scholar that said, Jerusalem is of no significance to the Muslims. He did, yeah, saw that. And, you know, in looking at the statements that he made, he, he pointed to, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, this supposed mosque uh, that was built wasn't even around at the time of the writing right. of the Quran. So how could that be talking about the Al-Quds, which Jerusalem has never been known as. There was no mosque there. So historically, uh, it's just misinformation. And, you know, looking at the promotion of Jerusalem, especially in the last years, as a 30, or last uh, 30 or so years, as the third most holiest site in Jerusalem, there are certain hadiths or interpretations of the Quran or interpretations of the teachings of Muhammad that say that the Al-Quds Mosque, which means the faraway mosque, is actually in Saudi Arabia, like Mecca and Medina. So really Orthodox Islam never thought that there was a mosque outside of Saudi Arabia, but that all of the major historical and religious sites were inside the boundaries of Saudi Arabia, including the Al-Quds Mosque. It's never been in Jerusalem, according to uh, some Muslim scholars. And this is being promoted widely in Saudi Arabia. As a matter of fact, they even have a hashtag that is being used in Saudi Arabia that says Riyadh is more important than Jerusalem. That's, so, well, I, 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 I find it really fascinating. I find this upcoming king to be intriguing, he's very to much say so. the least. There's, yeah. some, there's some world leaders right now that are very young. He's yeah. 32. You have Macron, I think, is 39. Is that right? In France. You have another leader over somewhere else in Europe, and the, you have these young guys. What I find most fascinating about the Saudi Arabia uh, crown prince is he is very favorable to Israel. Yes. Now, I, I think there's, there's a, a couple of different factors. One of them is they need Israel to do, ba do battle with Iran. Yes. Uh, when you look at Ezekiel 38, Saudi Arabia is not involved in the war, they're actually protesting the war coming against Israel. Right. But I find the leader fascinating. I've got to admit, he's very charismatic. He is. He's, he's, he's definitely winning the favor of the Jews over. So I just find it fascinating. It is. It's been amazing to watch this. And, and it underscores a point for us, uh, Tom, because, you know, one thing we know about the whole progression that takes place in the last days, when Jesus was kind of giving what I like to call the preamble to what's going to take place during the 70th week of Daniel in Matthew 24, uh, 4 to 8, basically. He ends that progression by stating that it's going to happen like birth pangs, like labor pains on a pregnant woman. And, you know, we've all quoted and stated what we've heard our whole lives as we study prophecy, that that indicates that things are going to increase in intensity and frequency as labor progresses with a, a woman. And what that tells us and reminds us of is that <laughs> like this man rising to power, I'd never heard of him. And, then also, and as a matter of fact, he wasn't even the one who was supposed to step up in line as crown prince. Mm -hmm. Somebody else was passed over for him to rise to power. 
and just instantly here is somebody that's influencing policy globally mm -hmm. and even influencing years and years of tradition uh, within his own country by allowing women to drive, uh, seeing them as equal. You know, when, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of women that realize uh, that the Quran actually says that the testimony of a woman is worth half the value of a man because of their mental deficiency. Yeah. Well, that's what the, the Quran no, well, a says. A lot of people don't understand. Ladies. Yeah. Did you hear that? This is what's crazy <laughs> about some of the women's rights groups in America. It's allowing, they seem to want Well, Sharia they may law. be proof that the. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, listen, should women drive? Absolutely. Okay, I just was testing you. I wanted to see what you were going to say. <laughs> but you look, at, you look at how women are treated in Islam, and mm -hmm. it's not good. I don't understand women's rights groups in America wanting Sharia law to come in. It is not favorable toward women. Not at all. At all. So, but I, I, again, I look at this leader in Saudi Arabia. I just, 32 years old. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of remarks. Appears out of nowhere. He, he appears out of nowhere, winning the favor of the Jews. Yes. Winning the favor of women, winning the favor of people. He's very charismatic. Yes. It's just interesting. I'm just saying. So could it be possible <laughs> that somebody rises to power and makes a seven-year covenant with Israel? Well, Donald Trump is trying to. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm not, you keep going. <laughs> keep, I didn't mean to throw you off. Could it be possible that somebody rises to power, makes a seven-year Confirms the seven nation covenant of Israel, Israel and then ascends to international power as a single world leader. Have you ever heard that scenario? I've heard it somewhere. I think Karnak says. <laughs> how many of you remember Karnak? Let's see you. The rest of you are going, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> so it's from Johnny Carson. How many of you heard of Johnny Carson? Okay, how many of you heard of Elvis Presley? He has nothing to do with Elvis. So uh, it, it is, it is, it, it's very intriguing to watch the, it, yes. all these things in the world develop right now. All the countries that the Bible speaks of in the last days, they're all on stage. It's not that they're mm -hmm. taking place anymore. Right. They're in their place. Yes. And you're, you're going, we've, we've got to be going home soon, it, which brings me to more stories. So we have Donald Trump attempting to essentially do a land for peace deal, mm -hmm. um, which all these other presidents have done. Uh, he's doing it. He he's talking about moving the embassy into Jerusalem. But part of his plan for, to bring a peace plan to Israel, this article asks this question, is Trump eyeing a plan to expand a Palestinian state into Sinai? So, and what that is, is the expansion of Gaza with Egyptian land for a peace plan that the Palestinians would also be able to live in. So when you start carving up the land of Israel, uh, I, I look at it and, you know, Donald Trump seems to be dividing up the land like all these other leaders have attempted to do in order to win favor and bring about peace, which concerns me because Joel chapter 3, verse 2, God says, I will judge the nations that divide my land. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I like the part about Genesis 12, verse 3, Let's move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, experience God's blessing, as opposed to let's carve up the land of Israel and experience God's judgment. But one of these two places we're going. Zechariah says, I will cut into pieces those who would heave yeah, it away. Yes. So ill-advised to try and divide up the land of Israel. Yeah. And again, as we pointed out with Amos, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, there's not going to be any division of the land until the tribulation. We're told in Zechariah chapter 14 that they divided my city in two. And there's a, a yep. cataclysmic events associated with that as well in this uh, war scenario that takes place there also. But, you know, you look at what's been developing with ISIS and the Sinai and the associated groups uh, with ISIS who have been wreaking havoc. Here you've got this mosque bombing, killed 305 Muslims, yeah. killed 305 other Muslims, mm -hmm. uh, set off some type of devices inside the mosque. They had gunmen on the outside directing traffic when people fled from the mosque and running them into gunmen where they were mowed down, as many as 29 children were also wow. killed, uh, just because these other Muslims were Sufi Muslims, uh, which is uh, yeah. kind of uh, similar to the mystics we see in, in yeah. Judaism. They are more uh, uh, a mystical group, even though they're both, some are Sunni and some are uh, Shia. There's Sufis in both uh, categories of Islam. But, I mean, what a heinous act. And this led al-Sisi to come out this past week and tell his military, you've got three months to clean up the Sinai. 
So he, his plan is to drive all presence of ISIS and any of their affiliates out of the Sinai within 90 days, which would lend itself to what Trump is proposing yeah. as well. Kind of a co-op between these groups. But I can already tell you the answer of Mahmoud Abbas, no. Yeah, Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinian Authority. He's, uh, he's well, he, he's, at the same time, if he agrees to anything, he's probably going to wind up dead. So he's got to factor that in. But at the same time, he's leading the Palestinian cause. And it's really a political cause. Uh, keep this fire stoked about the Palestinians not having their own land and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And the Palestinian uh, people. But it is so fascinating, Barry. In Amos chapter 3, I think it's verse 7. God says that the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals it first through his prophets. And we have the prophetic word that tells us the way everything's going yes. in. And again, we're here. And let me change subjects. We're here for a little bit longer. How many of you want to be here for a little while longer? <laughs> How many of you want to ask questions? A few? <laughs> Say, well, well, we'll try to get there. Let, let me get to this first. Okay. This is San Diego, all right? Changes gears, but still fits into the prophetic picture. San Diego opens giant tent to contain hepatitis outbreak. And uh, this article says um, there's going to be a marked difference in what we see on the streets today and what we see at this time next year. And uh, this comment comes from the outbreak of hepatitis in San Diego. They're saying you have this major homeless problem and they're trying to contain this pestilence outbreak so giant tents, I think it said there's going to be three of them to house people in that are homeless to contain pestilence in America. And this is in San Diego. This, this is not far from here. You look at this, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm like, wow. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine, but this is happening. And pestilence is a big deal also. When, I mean, we're talking about Jerusalem, Russia, all these other things, but this is part of what God tells us how things are going to go down too, isn't it? Yes, it is. And looking at some of the other things, we had a story come out about six months ago that there is a new strain of uh, an STD, gonorrhea, that has mutated so many times that it's now completely resistant to all antibiotics. It's basically untreatable. Wow. So now you've got another advancement of pestilence. We've had uh, nine countries now basically uh, been put on prohibition for travel associated with an outbreak of what used to be called the bubonic plague in Madagascar, yeah. but now it's called the pneumonic plague because mm -hmm. the old bubonic plague that was transferred by fleas has now become and mutated into an airborne form that can be transmitted through a cough or a sneeze. So, How you know, scary is that? Yeah, exactly. And, but again, it's completely consistent with what the progression that Jesus presented, which included pestilence or disease uh, around the world as well as, as well as all the other events that we've been talking about. But we would expect to see these types of stories mm -hmm. and these type of uh, uh, events happening around the world to be consistent with everything else that's escalating in frequency and intensity. Yeah. So now, here all of a sudden, we have the plague to deal with in a mutated form that uh, no longer requires a flea bite or anything like that, but yeah. simply people on an airplane can all get it uh, by a cough or a sneeze. Well, it's really, it's pretty unnerving in a sense. Uh, when we think of it, I remember years ago you, you described it as an ebb and a flow, the birth pangs. Mm -hmm. And what's happening now, it's, we aren't watching the contraction, I mean, we aren't watching the shrinkage much. It just keeps going like this. Yes. And, and it's not going away. Every day in the news, it's just one story after another after another. This baby is about ready to be born. Yeah. This tribulation is coming. So when you think of the pneumonic plague, that is through the lungs, it's airborne. Again, you said people get on a plane from one of these areas. It, it, can you imagine the plague? You're on a plane flying. I'm not trying to scare everybody flying anywhere. But um, do I have I'm out of time? I have a question that came to me. Sorry, I'm supposed to look at my phone. Uh, sorry, I can't answer that. No, let me look at it in a minute. I've got to finish this. But it is, I mean, you can see a spreading like that exactly as the Bible says it's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> no, I've, you, I've had did a you cold do that on purpose? for a month, okay? You so. got it the last time he flew to Madagascar. He got this disease. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm okay, Tom, really. Um, 
No, it is interesting because when you look at what you just shared, you know, we would expect things, and I, I was thinking about this earlier today even, you know, looking at that, uh, the description of the events of, you know, the things that lead up to the whole of the tribulation that Jesus described, the, you know, the ethnic struggles, uh, the kingdoms warring or nations warring against each other, the pestilence increasing, uh, the seismic events, uh, the seismos, uh, both events uh, within the atmosphere as well as on the earth, geologically, all of these things, the wars and rumors of wars, increasing. I was thinking this, this morning that, you know, when you reach the end of labor, things get very painful. And really, that's what we're looking at now. I mean, these things, to, to consider something of that magnitude that killed hundreds of millions of people, to be back on the world scene in a mutated form that's more dangerous than the first form yeah. is painful. It, it's that's, frightening to even consider. Right, yeah. and, and looking at, you know, what's happening in our world today, you know, I think we just are, are on the cusp of, or maybe we're, uh, our toes are even over the threshold of the necessity of the rapture, mm -hmm. that God is going to have to get his people out of here so the progression can begin during the tribulation. And I, I also, you know, I agree with what you said a moment ago about giving birth to the tribulation, but you know, I think like all of us, when we study more and think more about prophecy, you know, there's things that pop in our head that could be a potentially an explanation or interpretation as well. And I was thinking, you know, in line with what I just shared about the pains of the latter stage of mm -hmm. labor, that really it's possible that what's actually being given birth to is yeah. a millennium. The new heaven, the, the, yeah. the millennial kingdom right. is actually going to be born through the pains of the tribulation. And the which tribulation I are the final birth wholeheartedly pains. agree yeah. with. It's going to be yeah. very painful during the tribulation. Yes. The millennial kingdom, not the new heaven and the new earth. Please forgive me for making that error. Will you? Yeah. you know, do you even know what the new heaven and the new earth are? Do you know what the millennial kingdom is? When Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years and Hemet is like heaven... But not quite heaven. Not quite there yet. But anyways, so the millennial kingdom, then the new heaven, then the new earth after that. I've yeah. actually thought that for years. The tribulation is the great final birth pangs, and then yeah. the baby is born, yes. the millennial kingdom. But I did receive this question. Okay. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I think everybody wants to have, we have some questions here, so these are going to be more of those rapid fire type, right? Okay. You ready? You're a sure. genius. This is going to be easy for you. This question came off of uh, some of you watching live stream. Where on the prophetic timeline do the two witnesses appear? During the tribulation. Short answer. Do you, did you, <laughs> okay, so do you have any more defined, I mean, let's go, you, you, can, you can go 27 seconds longer. Okay. The, the, <laughs> you know, when we combine the things that are happening in the first half of the tribulation, you've got this pseudo-peace plan, this covenant that's been entered into that in the middle of the covenant is going to be broken. And then the counsel of Jesus is when this abomination that makes desolate takes place, run. Mm -hmm. uh, because the great and terrible day of the Lord is about to begin. The day of Jacob's trouble. Uh, the, the wrath of God is going to be poured mm -hmm. out undiluted upon the earth. So during that time frame, uh, what you're going to find is what you see in Revelation 6 and Revelation 9, where people are actually going to be calling on the rocks of the mountains to hide them mm -hmm. from the wrath of him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. Now, what that tells me is that during the second half of the tribulation, that's not going to be the strong evangelism period. So the period of the two witnesses who are slain mm -hmm. and their bodies lie dead in the street for three and a half years, as well as the angel flying in the meridian or the high point in the sky mm -hmm. preaching the everlasting gospel, these events, I believe, of necessity would take place during the pseudo-peace in the first half of the tribulation period and not in the cataclysmic end of things that take place in the second half. So I would place them early on, potentially after the Ezekiel 38 mm -hmm. uh, exchange and before the abomination that makes desolate uh, that happens once the temple is rebuilt, the Antichrist goes in and tells himself he's God. And then, then, uh, then the real hell on earth is gonna break out at that exactly. point. Yes. Uh, great answer, very good, excellent, sir. So I, I, I look at these things, putting these things together. I have another question for you. This came from someone who asked me, looking at everything going on with North Korea, and uh, North Korea launched another missile the other day mm -hmm. that had Mattis very concerned, has a lot of people very concerned. 
North Korea says we now can reach anywhere in the United States we want to on right. the mainland uh, with potential nuclear device. Um, but the real concern seems to be an electromagnetic pulse coming from North Korea. But the question that came to me was, um, do you foresee uh, the United States going over to North Korea and taking them out anytime uh, in the very near future? And I said, that's a great question. My friend Barry Stagner is coming Sunday night. I said, I will let him answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's kind of what I told him. I said, this was my take on it, that uh, I believe when the, after the rapture takes place, massive wars are going to break out. We have the yes. rider on the red horse, and we can see mm -hmm. that. And my first thought is a war like this, if we go after North Korea, there's going to be so many political ramifications. It's going to change the dynamics of everything you know about immediately. It will. We have the New World Order that's going to rise up. The stakes are going to rise up. It's going to be an awful thing. But I don't know. I mean, I said, I don't know, it could happen, but I don't foresee it happening right now. Yeah, the players are too big. It, you know, you've got China involved. It's much too big. And, yeah. you know, the consequences, of course, uh, would be catastrophic for the whole of the world. Um, you know, it's interesting that, you know, we have this international law that does not allow one group to assassinate another country's leader. And this, oddly enough, seems to be respected by world leaders. You know? like, the one thing they actually adhere to like, is not assassinating each other. Yeah, you know? like, let's assassinate everybody who lives in the country, but not <laughs> yeah, the leader. Yeah, but not the leader. So, you know, that's been really a mystery to me. And, you know, there was a report some uh, months ago that uh, I don't want to misquote, but the number was just staggering, that in the whole nation of North Korea, there's like four websites. So four websites. Four websites, and the government obviously controls them all. All four. So, you know, for me, you know, when you see people and, and when you go to other parts of the world, it's kind of interesting, especially when you arrive in a third world country and people have, uh, you know, they live like many of the Bedouins you see mm -hmm. in uh, Israel, you know. Yeah. They live in a tent with a Rolls parked outside and a big screen TV they, on the inside. You can see the you satellite. Know? This is true. You can <laughs> see the satellite ditches out there yeah. in the... Uh, they get tense, and you're looking, well, that's interesting. <laughs> and the same is true when you have other portions of the world where people live in what we would call third, third world poverty, and yet they have some type of electronic device, or at least access to it, and they see how the rest of the world lives. Yeah. And that creates in them not only a desire, but to some degree, for many, it creates a sense of anger. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why that information control is so crucial to that particular regime, because if the North Koreans ever get wind that the United States doesn't hate them and is filled with good people and many other countries in the world are as well and seeks their betterment and live in a manner that is totally foreign to how they live, completely controlled by a single man who believes he's God or at least a deity, that uh, likely somebody would take him out from the inside. And it's been kind of a mystery to me that nobody close by after they watch him you know, kill his own family members for not clapping loud enough at his arrival at a military parade. Yeah. Pretty unbelievable. The only thing I can figure is, for whatever reason, God has kept him alive. I don't understand it, but we know everything is shaping up uh, to everything we are talking about uh, tonight. Um, also, you mentioned about the two witnesses. Uh, this is how I perceive a particular passage. Who uh, are they? Passage. Uh, uh, Barry and Don. <laughs> <laughs> so, who are the two witnesses? That wasn't what I was going to ask. So... Jesus says this, the, the, the uh, gospel is going to go into all nations mm -hmm. uh, before I return. I've had this debate with people before. I look at the ultimate fulfillment of the gospel going into all nations, being the angel that proclaims the gospel, the 144,000 Jewish converts yes. that are live during the tribulation and proclaim the gospel, and the two witnesses that are proclaiming the gospel, because ultimately that's what they're going to be doing during the first half of the tribulation period. Do you see that? as being the, the final fulfillment of that passage? Absolutely, and I know we've all heard and kind of jokingly shared with one another, you know, what if you or, or heard said, you know, what if you knew the last person that was to be saved that would launch the rapture of the church? You know, we'd all be on them sharing uh, with them. But, you know, I think the, the, the thing that we need to remember, one, uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think what we need to remember is that Jesus said, no one knows the day 
nor the hour. So what I believe that means is that there is a moment in time predetermined by God at which he's not looking for that one person. He's watching the clock because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when the clock strikes, whatever hour that may be that no one knows, then the rapture of the church is going to take place. And as you said, the everlasting gospel is going to be preached to the whole world, and then Jesus is going to come. So technically, he doesn't come back to the earth at the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ are risen right. first, and we who are alive and remain meet him in the air. Amen. And then his second coming is at the end, or brings the end of the tribulation period. And had he not returned, he himself said no flesh would survive. Yes, he did. Very, very frightening. I don't want to close it on that, that uh, no flesh would survive. Well, let's talk uh, about ice cream then. Let's or talk about positive. ice cream. How about that? Well, you know, we, we went a few <laughs> minutes over. Is that okay with you all? Okay, I do want to take a couple of live questions. And while Craig is walking around with the microphone, you can hold up your hand. While he's going there, I'm going to ask you this. Israeli aircraft strike an Iranian base outside Damascus. Why is Damascus a big deal in Bible prophecy? It is kind of a standalone prophecy, and yeah. we don't really have anything associated with uh, other events to know the timing other than that the burden of the Lord against Damascus is that it will become a ruinous heap. It will cease from being a city. And uh, I, I want to encourage everybody here, as well as those watching online, to go to YouTube and type in drone footage Damascus. And you will see some of the most amazing footage you have ever seen of a ruinous heap. And, you know, we've always thought, and I think to a degree, rightfully so, that this is an instantaneous uh, one-time event, that it's a bombing that takes out the city. But th the reality is Damascus has slowly become a ruinous heap. Now, it's not completely a ruinous heap, but uh, it's getting close. So watch that footage. It'll blow your mind as this drone flies and flies and flies and flies over block after block after block of piles of rubble, just rubble. Uh, from the war that rubble. has gone on. So it's already happening, and I do believe that there will be some type of event that brings it to its conclusion, and it's likely something like this, uh, an errant missile. Uh, who knows what the, the catalyst will be, but I have a suspicion that Israel will be involved yeah. in the ruinous heap yeah. part of Damascus. I do too. It's going to be the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, for Damascus in the evening by morning. It's, yes. it's pretty much over. Uh, Gabe, you have a question. Uh, yeah, um, I was wondering, is, Ma is Matthew 24 written specifically to the Jews, or is that something that, I mean, it seems as if it is? Or It is, it is written for um, people who live in Switzerland. Am I right, Perry? No. So I, I look at Matthew 20. You, you can answer it. Matthew, Jesus was speaking to Jews, right? So yeah. when you look at it in the context, ultimately the, the, the Bible prophecies of the second coming of Christ, they really all relate to Jerusalem, the Jews, the nation of Israel. So when you look at it in the right context, you realize the rapture of the church is a separate event that, mm -hmm. but all of the prophetic things that speak of the second coming of Christ speak what Barry was talking about. The rapture is not Jesus coming back to earth. We're getting caught up. All the prophetic events are fulfilled. Everything in Matthew 24 is to the Jewish people, but we can see the time clock of the events that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, all of it, discourse, right? We can see them. That's why we're going, oh my, this is the word of what's coming during the tribulation period the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. So we know the rapture must be coming because these things are going to be fulfilled and then Jesus will come back at the end of the tribulation period. Yeah, the tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel. Yeah. Which has not, to do right. with, as the Lord spoke to Daniel, your people and your city, yeah. which are the Jews in Jerusalem. So if we look at the scenario that unfolds in the book of Revelation, we have the presence of the church and, you know, I like to remind people that the only words that we have in the Bible where Jesus was directly addressing the church are the letters to the seven churches. Mm -hmm. Everything else, his encounters in life, his teachings, were directed toward the Jews. He came to the Jew first, but also to the Greek or the non-Jew. So we, we know that there is direction, uh, directives given by Jesus to the church in the seven letters. But once you have that statement given to John, a member of the church, to come up here... 
and you have in 4 and 5 a record of the heavenly scene, all of heaven and earth, those who have ever lived and died, are searched as being who can, is worthy to open the scrolls. One is found, he's a lamb that was slain, which obviously is Jesus. Then from chapter 6 to 19, all the idioms, all the references are very Jewish. And that is where you have the two witnesses as well. So, you know, and they are laying dead in Jerusalem. So, you know, I think you've, you've got a Jerusalem. couple of Jews there preaching yeah. the gospel. Well, Paul, the apostle asks, is God done with Israel? Certainly not. And then he's very clear, Romans chapter 11, uh, the time of the, the time, which goes back to the time that you're talking about, the time of the Gentiles will be mm -hmm. fulfilled, uh, will be done. And uh, until that time uh, it's done, God's working with the Gentiles and the Jews. There's blindness on part has happened to the Jews until that time, but then that time is done. You mentioned earlier it's about the time of God, not so much a particular person that's going right. to get saved and then the rapture takes place. But ultimately, it is for, it's a Jewish book. It's for mm -hmm. the Jewish people. We get the benefit of it, and we can look and go, wow, all these prophetic things seem to be lining up. We're going home soon. We're close to the 70th week of Daniel. Amen. And it is the 70th week of Daniel, not the 70th week of well, Switzerland. So, <laughs> so uh, any other questions? All the way down front, sir. That's a long walk. It's a very long walk. It's a very, very, very long walk. Anything you want to say while they're walking down there, Barry? You got phone calls you got to take or anything? Yeah, I'm just uh, checking my mail. No, I'm just It's like, let me see, let's see. <laughs> Here we go. For those of you who don't know, I wear hearing aids and I control them from my phone. So I want to be able to hear this question. I'm not sitting up here texting. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'd like to say thank you, uh, Barry, for coming to 412 Church. We really appreciate Amen. you here tonight. Bless you. Thank you. Great and to be here. The question I'd like to ask, if in your estimation, I know you're not going to say, well, I know exactly what time the rapture is going to hit, but if you took your age, do you really feel that you feel that the rapture will hit in your lifetime, and would you be very disappointed if it didn't hit? <laughs> and the other question would be, the time, if you'd rated it from zero to ten, where would your number be? The zero, what was the last part of that question? If you had a time elapsed between zero to ten, where would that number be in your estimation as of both of you being professionals at what you do? Of likelihood, you mean? Yes, yes, sir. Okay, of okay. likelihood. Tell you what, that's a great question to answer and end with because that's going to have a happy ending, this answer to this question is, I can tell. So Yes, 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 10. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you know, it, uh, I said to the church one time that because of what we believe, and, you know, there, there's something interesting. I know there's some debate about this, and there are well-respected people that would disagree. But, you know, there's a comment that was made by Jesus where he told them to learn the lesson from the fig tree. Now, there's two references in the Old Testament where Israel is spoken of via the idiom of a fig tree. Now, some say, because Luke mentions, and all the trees, mm -hmm. that there was just a word picture being presented. However, I would disagree with that for this reason. We know that during the Passion Week, Jesus passed by a fig tree and went to it, and it was barren. And he therefore cursed the tree. Now, I have never heard one scholar who said they don't believe that the barren fig tree was symbolic of Israel, Israel not ready for its Messiah. So on Monday, Jesus goes by a fig tree and curses it. Tuesday, he goes by the same fig tree, and his apostles say, look, Master, the tree which you cursed is dried up from the root. So the fig tree on Monday is symbolic of unbelieving Israel. The fig tree on Tuesday is symbolic of unbelieving Israel. And on Wednesday, Jesus says, learn the lesson from the fig tree. So if it's unbelieving Israel on Monday and it's unbelieving Israel on Tuesday, then the fig tree has to be Israel. unbelieving Israel on Wednesday. And he said, the generation that sees the fig tree bearing fruit once again, or budding once again, is going to see the whole of the last day's scenario. So in looking at it through that lens, and people like to speculate, and we've all heard people say a generation is 40 years, some say 70, 
And David wrote that, you know, it's 80, uh, 70 if reason of strength, 80. We don't know how long a generation is. That could mean the last person born or the person born on May 14, 1948. Uh, they're not going to die before all this happens. But I'd like to put it like this in the past, that if we don't see the rapture of the church and the following tribulation within uh, a generation, whatever that may mean, of the rebirth of the nation of Israel, then we're going to have to go back to the drawing board on our eschatology. Because I believe that all of this is given so we can, <coughs> again, excuse me, uh, understand. <laughs> it's the I just plague. got off a plane from Madagascar, Tom, but don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can understand, and hence right in the uh, closing, and, and as Jesus begins to wrap up his comments in the Olivet Discourse, he says, therefore you also be ready. And we ought to be ready, and therefore we ought to live in a sense of expectancy. And, you know, without revelation, uh, the people perish. And we've been given significant uh, revelation. I think Joel Rosenberg is the one who pointed out there are eight times as many prophecies, times as many prophecies concerning the second coming of Jesus as there are the first. So it's not that we're without information. So therefore, we should live expectantly, expectantly and I expect the rapture of the church to take place Perhaps today. Woohoo! And if not today, then perhaps tomorrow. Perhaps tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, Tuesday. perhaps the day after that. I, I see no I reason yeah, biblically yeah. why we should not yeah. be looking up because our redemption is not. Amen. The, the rapture is a signless event. It is going to happen. We can see we are so close to everything happening. And I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait. And uh, it's exciting, isn't it? Yes, it One is. day we're going to be home with the Lord, whenever Amen. that is. And, and, and regardless of the rapture in our lifetime or not, which I do believe will be soon, um, still we're going home and we're going Amen. to be with the Lord. Barry, yeah. thank you very much for coming out. That was terrific. Thank you. I loved it. That, I really like that a lot. Will you pray us in closing? Absolutely. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you that at the conclusion of Romans, Paul reminded us that the things that were written before were written for our learning. And therefore, Lord, we need not live in this age that is a sign-rich environment with a spirit of unexpectancy or disappointment or discouragement. But every day when we get out of bed in times such as these, we ought to be looking up for our redemption as nigh. We thank you for the truths that we have discovered in your word. Thank you that your word does not return void. And Lord, we can trust in everything that was inspired and spoken and written by your Holy Spirit, even though you included the hands of men to pen the words to the page. So Lord, we thank you for that which we have discussed tonight. And Lord, if there is an end result of our time together tonight, may it be an urgency for us to tell people about Jesus. So we thank you for our time together. Thank you for this church. Thank you for my dear brother Tom. And Lord, how you've created a passion in him uh, for your word, and especially, Lord, the study of the things of the last days. Bless this church greatly, all for your glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's amen. warriors said, amen. amen. I forgot something. Pastor Barry, you have a prophecy conference at your church February 10th. February 10th, Saturday, February 10th. Write it down. It's going to be terrific. Uh, you will be blessed. Pastor Tom will be there. I will be there. And, um, and so we'll several, several, yeah, several, that, several that word. Other teachers will be there. It's going to be a terrific conference. Yes. It is every year. So that's uh, February 10th, Saturday. Write it down. For all of you watching YouTube, uh, mark your calendars for that. And then also, don't forget, if you want to go to Europe with us both, uh, January 14th, we're going to have our, our, probably our final meeting on it, just so you know. But it's going to be a great time. With that, it's been a great night, hasn't it? Yeah. What a blessing.